Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Today, and we are wrapping up a teaching series called The Big Three temptations that we all face. And so if you've not been with us through this series, I would encourage you maybe to go back on our app or our website and try to catch up on some of the things that we've been talking about. They kind of build into each other. And so we're looking at the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness when he was led by Satan there or led by the Holy Spirit, we're told, uh, into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan after he fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. And, And so in one respect, it's great to know that we all face temptations and that we're not alone in that, that when we talk about being tempted to sin and knowing that temptations are out there in our life and that we all struggle with different things, that we're not alone when it comes to those things. And so that's a nice thing to know is that you've got company on your journey and struggle with temptation and against sin. Uh, in another regard, though, it's one of those things that we would say, man, I hate that, uh, that there are temptations that are out there, that there are things that would trip me up in my journey following after Jesus. And so I don't like or revel in the idea that sin exists, that temptations are there. Uh, And yet we know that that's part of the journey in our Christian life is that we're going to struggle with sin. We're going to deal with temptation. And so we've been walking through these things to help us understand how to avoid some of the temptations that Satan puts out there, or when we are tempted, how to say no to those things. And so we've seen Jesus do this. And one of the great pieces for us in our Christian life is to be aware that Jesus stood against temptation. And then he tells us, you can do the same thing. And yet, I know what you're thinking as you sit there. You're like, but Joel, I need to tell you that I'm not Jesus. When it comes to temptation, uh, I, I'm not exactly him. And I think we could all look around the room and go, yeah, we figure that out. We know that you're not Jesus and that you're not perfect in your struggle against temptation and your struggle against sin. And yet, here's the powerful truth of Scripture that we see over and over again and things that we just sing about is that God has put his spirit inside of us to empower us to live like Christ. We're not Jesus, but we have the spirit of Jesus in us that calls us to deeper things, that calls us to powerful ways of living that allow us to say no to sin and to say no to the temptations that we face on a daily basis. And so as we jump into this this morning, we're going to look at the final temptation that Jesus is facing as he's in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days and nights. And each week of the series, we've shared some keys to the series, some things we want you to walk away with and that we hope you'll know after these three weeks. And so I'm going to give you these three things. Number one is this, that Jesus can be trusted. That Jesus can be trusted as our Savior. He is the legitimate representative of God to man to pay for our sins. And because Jesus lived a sinless life, because Jesus consistently said no to sin, because Jesus always walked the righteous path of faith in his Father, and because he pursued righteousness and holiness, and because he lived out those things, he is our legitimate Savior. We can trust Jesus. We can trust his death on the cross to pay for our sins. Now, if I died in your place, you would be in a really hard place in life. 
if you are depending on my life to pay for your sins because I'm sinful just like you are. That may be a, like a wake-up call for some of you that are going, the pastor sins? Oh yeah, every day, big time, right? But Jesus did not. So he is the legitimate representative of God to pay for our sins. Here's the second thing that we see. Satan uses the same deceptions over and over again. Like there's nothing new under the sun, we're told. And Satan's the same way. He brings the same deceptions against us. Our job is to learn to identify the deceptions that he uses, the temptation tactics that he uses, and then to stand against them. So that when we recognize what Satan is doing, when we recognize our fleshly desires that war against us, we'll talk about that more later on, that our own flesh wars against us to draw us to sinful things that we used to be a part of before we came to faith in Christ, we start to go, I see this coming. I know the temptation is there. I know where I'm weak. I know where I struggle and I can stand against those things. And then the third thing is this, that it's possible to resist sin. It's possible to walk in righteousness in the power of the Holy Spirit and in our knowledge and in the power of the Word of God. And so as we know God's Word and as we build that into our heart, we're told in Scripture, I've hidden your Word in my heart so that I may not, what, sin against you. Knowing God's Word, being empowered by His Spirit to live out what we're told is where our Strength comes from to be able to resist temptation. So those are the three things that we've been looking at every single week that we just want to kind of repeat and remind each other of. Now I want to do is jump into this temptation that Jesus faces, and it's something that we all face as well. So with Luke chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, here's what we see. It says, The devil led him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And so that's where I want us to stop for just a minute because that's the temptation aspect. We'll see how Jesus stands against that in a little while. But here's the first thing I want you to notice. We've been in the wilderness with Jesus Last week, we were told that Satan took him up onto a mountaintop or to a high place to show him the kingdoms of the world, and he promised he could give him the kingdoms of the world if only Jesus would worship him. Now we've left the wilderness, we've left the high place, and it says that Satan led Jesus to Jerusalem to the Temple Mount. And so here's what I want you to know about this, the location of the Temple Mount. There's an, a section of the temple that is high above the ground. In fact, it stands about 450 feet above the Kedron Valley. And so as you see this temple mount, you see this enormous structure, and Satan leads Jesus to the top of this pinnacle area, and he challenges him, hey, just throw yourself off from here. Right? So we're not talking about a little jump, like our stage is only about a foot and a half off the ground. If I hop off from here, I'm getting older, I might sprain my ankle, but I'm not going to really hurt myself. But Satan says to Jesus, hey, let's take you up to the top of the temple, and why don't you just throw yourself down? Now, another aspect of this and why this is an important location that Satan takes him to, there was a rabbinical uh, thought that the Messiah would show himself at the temple when he came. And that's interesting because Jesus does do exactly that about three years later. 
He's going to go to the temple during Passover week, and he's going to present himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus does go to the temple, and he does make himself known there. But in this instance, Satan is trying to appeal to something in Jesus. And here's the temptation. If, if you're taking notes this morning, just write this down. It's the temptation to exhibit pride. Right, And not like, I'm proud of the work that I did, or, or take pride in your kids and the things that they do. Like, pride in a sinful, selfish way. And so essentially, Satan is telling Jesus, hey, listen, if you'll jump off of this thing, this is a busy area. The temple is full of people, and everyone will see you take this leap, and everyone will see the angels of your father swoop in and save you. Because scripture says... Not even a foot will strike against a stone. God will protect you. So take this leap and show everybody how amazing you are. And he appeals to Jesus' pride, right? Of going, hey, here's a shortcut. We talked about that a little bit last week as well. There are shortcuts you can take to get to what you want. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world so you don't have to go to the cross if you'll just worship me. That's a shortcut. Here's another one. Hey, you don't have to wander around in obscurity in Galilee and around uh, some of the different places you're going to be for the next several years. If you'll just jump off the temple and be caught in midair by angels, everyone in Jerusalem the capital city will immediately go, that's the guy, let's follow him. He's the Messiah. Let's put him on a pedestal. And so the temptation is, do something in your own ability that's going to draw attention to you and take glory off of your father. Don't you want the focus to be on you? And unfortunately, that's where so many of us struggle in life. We all want the attention to be on us. But the thing that Satan does with Jesus when he comes to him and he challenges him in this, he says, if you are the son of God, he challenges his identity. And this is the second time he's done that. In the first temptation that Jesus faced, he said, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn those stones into bread? And now again, he goes, if you're the son of God, why don't you just jump off this temple and let God show his favor to you and his faithfulness to you by saving your life? If you're the son of God. And so Satan starts to play on Jesus's identity. If you're questioning who you are, why don't you test God and see if he responds? If you really legitimately think you're the Messiah of God, here's a great way to try it out. Just jump and let God catch you. And do this miraculous thing that draws focus and attention to you. And Satan does the same thing in our lives too. Pride plays into our lives when he starts to question our identity. Hey, do you know who you are? Do you really think you're a child of God? Do you legitimately think that Jesus saved you from your sin and brought you out of a life of sin and into a life of righteousness and holiness and godliness and into his kingdom in heaven? And he'll start to play on our identity. And so we'll hear things that challenge us. Maybe you've been in a place like this before where you've been challenged in your identity in Christ. Maybe somebody has said to you or you've even had the thought internally, if you're a Christian, why isn't God helping you? Why are you having to go through this hard thing? If you're a Christian, shouldn't it be easy? And it starts to bubble in us. Maybe God's not good like we thought. If you're a Christian, why do you keep struggling with sin? Man, I can't tell you how many times I've asked myself that question. 
Why, God? I mean, I've been following you for years now. Why do I still struggle with these sinful things, with this nature that that desires things that are not about you? Why do I continue to struggle in that? Shouldn't you have just set me free from that altogether? Why, if I'm a Christian, do you keep struggling with sin? Here's one. If you're a Christian, why don't you trust God more to fully take care of all of your needs? Why don't you just trust God more? I know I struggle with putting all of my trust in God. And maybe you do too. Maybe you're in that place in life where you're just like, I want to step out in faith and trust God, but I really want to just be in control and do the things in my own power and with my own ability that's going to carry me through and and make sure that I get what I need. And I'm not sure if I completely trust God to do that in my life. And so we have these things challenge us all the time. And these things challenge our identity in Christ. And they might tempt us to question the goodness of God or our position in him. Are we truly his children? Can God really take care of us? So here's the next thing on your outline if you're taking notes. Satan will challenge our identity as children of God and co-heirs with Christ to make us question the goodness of God. He wants you living in a place where you question the goodness of God, but in your pride and arrogance, you never question your own goodness. (laughs) I never question if I'm good or not. Sure, I'm good. God should be doing more for me because I'm so good. I'm so faithful and so loyal, right? And in our pride and our arrogance, we think God's not good, but we are. And Satan flips the script on us and focuses on those things. So do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know he loves you no matter what? what? This temptation that Jesus is facing is pride. And pride's a temptation we all face every day. Uh, Pride wants to pull all the focus and all the attention on us and draw attention away from God's glory. I mean, think about it. You do in your life a good deed. You do something for someone else. And the next thing you need to do in your life is post on social media that you did that good thing, right? Um, And then I go, I'm kind of guilty of that, like all the time. And I stood up here in front of you guys this morning and said, hey, look at all these people we blessed with all this stuff. And we did this event and we had all these kids that we fed food to and did a water park for. And, and aren't we good? And pat ourselves on the shoulder and on the back. And it's like, pride, look, look at how good we are, right? And we do these things where we'll go, I did something for someone. Now let me make sure the world knows that I did. That's pride. That's arrogance. And Jesus warned us about that kind of lifestyle. And Jesus showed us a kingdom ethic that goes against that. And the kingdom ethic that Jesus displays in this challenge that Satan throws at him and throughout his life is humility. Because the way to deal with our pride is to lean into God and learn to be humble. And so as we see these things going on, the question that we ask ourselves over and over again is, what's my motivation for doing this? Do I want glory or do I want God to be given glory? What's your motivation? And so Jesus is warning to us in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. He says, hey, listen, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Now listen, 
Nobody on planet Earth in all of history deserved more notoriety and more fame and more worth than Jesus. And multiple times in his life, people tried to elevate him and exalt him to a place of being the king of the Jews. They wanted to march him into Jerusalem, make him king, and have the Jewish people conquer the Romans. That's what their idea was. Let's set up the kingdom of Israel again, and you be the king. And over and over again, Jesus takes the glory off of himself. He walks away from the crowds. He walks away from the notoriety, and he continually points to his father. He says, the will of the father is what I'm here for not to do your bidding, but to do his. Jesus constantly comes back to humility. He constantly acts and shows himself in a way to be humble. So Satan comes to Jesus and tempts him to act in pride. Satan wants to draw attention to Jesus and wants Jesus to draw attention to himself, saying, just jump off this very public building, gain notoriety for yourself, show in a supernatural way that you're the Messiah. Now, I want you to think about how Satan has tempted Jesus now two times. The first temptation that Satan used, he told Jesus to just take control for himself. Hey, you've been out here now for 40 days and 40 nights. Your father hasn't fed you. He can't take care of you. He's not interested in you. He's not concerned in you. But you have the power to take control yourself. Why don't you just turn these stones into bread and feed yourself? And in the first temptation, Satan says, God doesn't care about you. He's not there for you. You can't trust God. In this final temptation, he challenges Jesus to jump off a 450-foot building to the ground, and he quotes scripture and says, God will protect you. And Satan is basically now saying, not God doesn't trust you or you can't trust God. He goes, hey, don't you trust God? He flips that question. And that's kind of what you see here. The first temptation is you can't trust God. This last temptation is, don't you trust God? Like, wouldn't you do something crazy to show that you trust God and to put God in a bind where he has to act on your behalf and, and you kind of move him into a corner where he has to do what he's said he'll do? And so that's the challenge that we're seeing here. And it's interesting for us, too. These are the two ways that Satan tempts us. He'll ask us that question, or he'll tell us on one hand, you, you can't trust God. Hey, Christian, you can't trust God. Just take control of your own life. Do what you want to do. Do what's in your best interest, because you can't trust God. And then there's other times where he'll come to you and he'll say, man, don't you trust God? Like, I can't believe you're not willing to do something crazy. I can't believe you're not willing to, to really lean into something that you want because God will take care of you, right? Don't you trust him? And he puts us in this place where we're always asking these questions. And I want you to look at how Satan puts this temptation forward to Jesus. He does it by quoting scripture. This comes from Psalm 91. Jesus has resisted Satan by quoting scripture twice. Now in this final temptation, Satan comes to Jesus and goes, okay, I'll use the same trick that you're using against me, and I'll quote scripture to you. And so he quotes this passage of scripture, but he abuses it for his own personal gain. He quotes the scripture, but it's out of context. So Satan essentially says, doesn't the scripture say God won't let you get hurt? You should try it and see if it's true. Like God promised, he made this promise. 
that he won't let anything happen to you. You can jump off this building if you want to, and he'll send angels to come so that you don't even scrape your foot against a stone. Why don't you test that out and see if God's really accurate in that? Will God really do what he promised? And the point here is, is that Satan twists this scripture because we see this and we go, the idea is not to put God into a place where you have, uh, are using it as a test against him. And in fact, that's exactly how Jesus responds. He just says, listen, that's a great passage that you just quoted. Here's another one. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Don't do anything trying to make God act on your behalf in the way you want by testing him. You lean into him in faith and obedience. Here's what I want you to get. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, I kind of hope you grab onto this. And I say that reluctantly because I can remember every time I was a teenager and would go to youth camp, there would always be one night in the message at, at one point and they would go, if you don't get anything else, get this. And then that would be like the one thing I would not remember the rest of my life. So here's the one thing I hope you get. And I hope you really do listen and get this. Satan can't force Jesus to do anything. He can only tempt him. And because of Jesus' knowledge of Scripture and his understanding of his role in God's kingdom and his place in the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, he's able to stand firm and avoid this temptation. Here's the good news for us. Satan can't force you to do anything either. Satan can hold attractive, sinful temptations in front of you, but he can't make you do them. You have the ability and the power in your relationship with the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to walk away from sin and temptation and say no to Satan and say yes to God. And that's good news for us. But the truth is, is that we far too often choose to do the sinful thing because we want to. I can't tell you how many times that's true in my life. I do the sinful thing not because Satan made me do it, but because I looked at the temptation and went, yeah, that looks good. The same way that Adam and Eve did in the garden. Yeah, that looks good. If I eat this fruit that God said I would not, I'll gain knowledge that'll make me like God, understanding good and evil like that. That sounds really appealing to me. Satan didn't cram the apple in their mouth and push their jaws together and make them take a bite. He just held it out and said, this looks good, doesn't it? And then they chose. And we choose to go against the things of God. And so when we see all of this, Satan tempts us strongly in the area of pride because he knows what the Bible says about pride. And I want to just read a few passages of scripture to you here so that we get this. Pride puts all this focus on us and it takes it away from Jesus. And so here's what Proverbs 8:13 says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Proverbs 16:18, pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall. It's better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. James 4, 6, he gives us more grace. That is why scripture said, God opposes the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. 
right? So think about these three things that these verses tell us. Number one, God hates pride. He says God hates it. So wouldn't Satan want us to display that and, just, and show that in our lives? That he would want us and tempt us with things that make us act in pride and that reveal the pride inside of us because God hates that stuff in us. The second thing is pride always hits right before destruction in our lives. Pride goes before a fall. Right? And so this always hits. Pride is always going to be present right before you take a major stumble. So, so be careful of that. And then here's the third thing. It says God opposes the proud. That word opposes is actually a military term in the Greek. And it means to set your armies against. It says those who are proud, God will literally set his forces against that pride. And so Satan would say, man, here's what I really want for you. Display pride in your life. Take glory on yourself. Don't look to the holiness of God and the glory of God. Look at you. You're so good. You're so worth it. You're so valuable. Take pride in yourself. And here's what's interesting. When we don't display pride and we do display humility, here's what we learn about ourselves anyway. You are valuable. You are worth it. You are incredibly valued and loved by your heavenly father. But you don't have to do anything in your pride to earn that. He gives you his grace. That's what James said. He gives us more grace so that we'll stand in humility rather than in pride. And so Jesus models for us how to combat pride consistently throughout his life. He demonstrates the kingdom values of selflessness, of humility, and of a desire to glorify God. And so here's the next thing that I want you to see on your outline. Humility always puts us in a place of giving God all the glory and taking none for ourselves. That's what humility will do. Humility will constantly push back glory to God and say, I don't want to receive glory for myself. God should get the glory for this. He's the one that's given me the ability to do these things. God is worthy. God is glorious. God is great. I always want to be giving glory back to God. So when Jesus is tempted to test God in this way and demonstrate a level of pride that would exalt himself, he simply says to Satan, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And he quotes from Deuteronomy. He says, this is what the people of Israel did when they were wandering around in the wilderness. They kept testing God. They kept complaining because there was no water, because there was no food, because God wasn't going to take care of them. And they just complained and they tested God until God went, fine, I'll show you. Here's manna. I'm just going to pour this out on you. Right? And he goes, don't do that. Don't put your Lord, your God to the test. And here's what I love about this. When Jesus says this, Satan has no rebuttal. When we choose to glorify God and humble ourselves, Satan has nothing else that he can say against us. There's no other thing that he can bring against us when we keep putting the glory on our Father. He has no other rebuttal. And so Satan leaves. But it doesn't mean that he gives up. Right? Here's what we see. He goes, Satan finishes his temptation, and then he just leaves. But here's the next verse, Luke 4, 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until when? An opportune time. Right, so here's what we need to know, church. Here's what you need to know in your Christian walk, in your journey with Christ. You can stand and resist temptation 
and Satan will leave from you, but he'll always be ready to come back. At an opportune time, he's looking for a way to come back into your life and bring another temptation to you to cause you to stumble and sin. And so when we see these things, there's two things that are important for us to know when it comes to overcoming temptation. If you're taking notes, write these two things down. Number one, we can overcome temptation and not give in to sin through the power of the Holy Spirit while knowing and applying the word of God. Like that's huge for us. If you want to stand against sin and against temptation and you want to walk in righteousness and walk in holiness, you can overcome that. But it comes through a deepening relationship with the Holy Spirit and through knowing the word of God. We've got a lot of anemic Christians when it comes to knowing the word of God. And the reason so many times I stumble into sin and you stumble into sin is we don't know the truth of scripture to stand on, to rebuttal against Satan and to stand against him. And every time Satan came to Jesus with a temptation, he quotes scripture. He quotes scripture. He stands on God's truth. He stands on the word. And it just flows out of him. Do we know the word of God like that? Because that's our key to getting out of temptation. Here's the second thing. Just because you beat a temptation once doesn't mean you can let your guard down. Right? And we just talked about this. It says Satan left him but only to come back in an opportune time. So Satan is waiting right now for you to let your guard down, for you to, to get a little lazy, to not be walking in faith, to not be spending time in prayer, to not be absorbing the word of God. And at the opportune time, he'll come in and he'll throw another temptation at you. And he'll try to trip you up again. So we have to learn to stand against that. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we constantly have to be on guard and stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 say this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then three different times in that one sentence, he goes, stand, 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 stand in the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. So he goes, listen, you stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. You clothe yourself with the weapons that Jesus gives to us, that God gives to us. And when you face temptation, you do everything to be guarded against it so that you can stand against the attacks of our enemy, against the attacks of our adversary. And just like when Jesus was tempted but didn't give in to the lure of sin, we can also walk in righteousness. You have more power in Jesus than you can possibly imagine. The New Testament said the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. There's power in you. 
So I don't know what temptations you're facing. I don't know what Satan comes against you with. I don't know where you struggle, what sin is appealing to you, but there's power to stand against it and to say no to those things. James 4, 7 says this, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he must flee from you. He has to flee. When you stand your ground and when you're firm in your faith in Christ and you resist the devil, he doesn't have power over you. You have power because of Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the word of God, you have power. And so for us, we've been talking about these three temptations that we face, control, idolatry, and pride. All of us face these things. And I don't know where you are and what you face exclusively or, or for yourself, but here's what I do know. While we do fight these battles and stand in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the truth of the word of God and under the authority of Jesus, we're not meant to fight these battles alone. You and I were designed for relationship. This is why we talk about this so much in our church, that we were made for relationship, that we're designed to be in relationship with other people who will walk with us and stand firm with us and pray with us and encourage us and tell us the word of God and that will help us walk in these things. And so when you read scripture, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And I always tell people that third strand that I think we're talking about is Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. And so when we think about walking through this life and avoiding temptation and standing against sin, we need other people. And man, I'm blessed in my life to have people who come around me just to help me walk through temptation and, and stay strong against some of those things. I don't do it perfectly. I wish I could say that I do. But I'm grateful for those who surround me in prayer and who encourage me and who challenge me to walk in Christ. This past week, I had an opportunity to go to Idaho to a conference out there that our discipleship network that we belong to here as a church is a part of, and we got to go and be around about 200 other church leaders that are part of this network and just uh, there to encourage each other and pour into each other. And right before I left, I was going by myself, traveling alone this time for this conference. And on Tuesday night before I left, I have a, my sermon planning team meeting, and we're sitting around the table, and we've just been talking about these kinds of things. And before we close up our meal together, one of the guys goes, can we just pray for you before you travel this week that God will surround you with his presence, that if you face temptation of some sort, that you won't give in to it, that your eyes won't be drawn to things that you shouldn't see, that your heart would not be pulled to things that it shouldn't be pulled to. And I just had this group of people that just prayed for me. And it was powerful and it was beautiful to go, we're for you. We want you to walk in righteousness. We want you to live a holy and a godly life. So much so that we're not going to let you do this alone. You're going to travel alone, but we're going to have our prayers with you while you go. And we're going to be behind you the whole way. So who's in your life that's doing that for you? Who are you in relationship with?
What life group are you planning to jump into this fall that you can get people around you who will go, I want to walk with you and love you and challenge you and encourage you and help you know your identity in Christ and pray for you. When you're weak, we want to stand shoulder to shoulder with you so that you can be strong in Christ, so that his spirit will be strong in you and that you can resist the temptations of the devil and that you can resist the temptations that come from your own sinful flesh. Because that's the second part of this. Not everything that comes against us as a temptation is from Satan. Scripture is pretty clear. We do a good job of sinning ourselves. Our fleshly nature that existed and was alive before we came into faith in Christ keeps wanting to take center stage and say, I'm going to do the things that make me feel good. I'm going to pursue the things that I want. And we walk away from Jesus in our own fleshly desires. And so we have this twofold battle that's going on, our own self and the temptations that come from Satan and from his allies. And so we need to learn to stand in this power, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. And because Jesus lived a sinful, sinless, perfect life, we too have the ability to know he is the legitimate representation of God to save us from our sins and to protect us. The question is, when temptation comes, will you resist and will you stand in the power of God's truth? Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.